you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, February 14th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's Valentine's Day episode, it is another Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. We'll be answering three of your listener questions here on the podcast today. The first question has to do with tanking and gambling in Major League Baseball and how those things could interact, including with the Orioles and how it could be an issue moving forward. The second question we will answer has to do with comparing the Orioles to the Astros and looking at what the Astros' true window of contention is and how long the Orioles' window can be once it opens up and they start, hopefully, winning some baseball games again. And the last question has to do with spring training and the lockout and what the update is for both major and minor leaguers at this point in baseball. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by betonline.net. And of course, you know, we've got the big game over, football season's over, but there's still basketball, hockey, winter Olympics, so much going on in sports, and you can wager on all that action at betonline.net. And before we get to our mailbag questions today, did also want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, the only Orioles podcast out there bringing you content three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Back to that schedule this week as I'm feeling much, much better this week after the COVID positive test last week. And uh, I'm back to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Make sure to check out the pod those three days. And if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone who likes the Orioles, and make sure to like, follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you do listen on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a five-star rating, and a review for the pod that really, really helps us out here on the pod. Helps me continue to bring you all this content during the lockout and during the offseason. But again, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, Mailbag Monday here on a Valentine's Day episode of the podcast. And our first question today talks about, you know, in terms of not just the Orioles, but all of baseball what tanking, what sports gambling has to do with the game and how that could all come together to potentially be an issue. So this question comes from Vince, who has asked questions for the mailbag before, and he says, quote, via email, quote, my question revolves around gambling and the sport. Given the Nationals and their new agreement with BetMGM building a retail store into the stadium and the news revolving around Brian Flores and the Dolphins and being paid to lose games, do you see the potential for baseball having its integrity compromised? Well, it's a, it's a pretty layered question. But first of all, I mean, in baseball, more than in the NFL, to first of all answer this question, I think teams are more transparent that they are tanking games. Now, I don't know if, you know, Peter Angelos, John Angelos, whoever it may be from the Angelos family, is giving bonuses to Brandon Hyde for losing a certain amount of games. What they're really doing in baseball is the opposite. The owners want less money coming out of their pockets. So instead of paying off a coach to lose a game, he is simply not 
giving the rest of the front office the money to spend on free agents and instead giving the go-ahead to tear it all down like Mike Elias and Sigma Dell have done since coming in before the 2019 season. And, you know, you're saving money by not paying coaches to lose, and you're also saving money by not spending on free agents and having a payroll that's, you know, sitting under $50 million some of these seasons for the Orioles. So I don't think it's the same thing because in the NFL, it takes a lot less time to really turn things around. I mean, look at the Super Bowl this year. You've got the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl, a team that won four games last season and a team that is two years removed from having the number one pick in the draft. They got Joe Burrow and all of a sudden, you know, they were in the Super Bowl yesterday. And so, you know, you look at a team like that in the NFL, things can turn around a lot quicker. You have a salary cap as well. And, you know, teams and owners know how much about that they're going to spend every season. And you can spend on free agents. And obviously the draft helps. You get, you know, seven draft picks, maybe more every year. And most of those players are ready to go week one of the first season after they're drafted. So it helps you turn things around a lot quicker. Much different in baseball, where a lot of your draft picks will take, you know, at least three years to get to the big leagues, usually more time than that. Uh, you've got a bigger deficit in spending between teams because of the lack of the salary cap, among other things, other owners being willing to reach deeper into their pockets as well. And so the tanking and the rebuilding is a more open thing in baseball just because of the fact that it's pretty transparent when you're doing it because the process takes longer than a year or two to really turn something around in a full rebuild like the Orioles are doing at the moment. But when it comes to the gambling aspect, I can definitely see a place where, you know, we get to some sort of conflict of interest and it becoming an issue because it's obviously going to be a clear issue in the NFL if they find out that the allegations are true, that the Dolphins owner was paying off Brian Flores to lose more games. I mean, you know, with the NFL and all these other leagues in bed with gambling companies at this point, you know, you're basically tanking games people know that it's not just the owner and brian flores that probably knew what was going on those people can go bet on the games as well and obviously you know make some money off of that and it's kind of like the sports version of insider trading right there but in terms of baseball having its integrity compromised i don't see baseball having a situation where owners are paying managers to lose games I think owners are openly trying to lose games. I think that's the difference, and we've kind of accepted that here. Like the Orioles, since Michael Elias has taken over, they have not tried to win games. It has been now three seasons where they have not tried to win games. We know that. Eight, 2019, 2020, and 2021, the Orioles haven't tried to win. And frankly, they should be better in 2022, but... No one expects them to try and build a team to get to the postseason. So you can throw in this season as well. And not that everyone's accepted that, but it's not like the league is coming down with these harsh penalties for these teams. Actually, it's kind of the contrary. And this is where I get to where Vince had a second part of his question where he kind of talked about how, you know, is this bad for the integrity of the sport and the Orioles are trying to win in the future, but to concede seasons for this, you know, isn't really fair to fans, which is definitely a fair point uh, from Vince when he sends in his email as well. And he says, but now there could be incentive to tank to maximize profits on the side of ownership. Yeah, that is what's happening. I mean, there is revenue sharing principles in the league where the top 10 teams in baseball in terms of their spending, their winning, they are sharing some of the money they make 
with the bottom 10 teams in the league. So there is almost, with how the revenue sharing is set up in Major League Baseball right now, there is basically an incentive for a team, unless you are stacked already, and you have you know some great young players coming up and they're ready to go, and you already have these stars on your team, and you really want to go all in and know, like, we can win the World Series this year. Unless you feel like you can really win the World Series, there's probably more incentive right now for owners to tank a team than to try and scrape to 87, 88 wins, get in the postseason, and just kind of see what happens. Because with the revenue sharing model, if you're in that bottom 10 of you know the spending, the money you're making, whatever it may be, and this isn't the greatest explanation of this, and I can link uh, in the podcast notes to better explanations of the revenue sharing. Uh, the podcast Tipping Pitches does a great job of explaining that as they explained uh, what goes on in the CBA on some episodes back in November and December, so make sure to check that out. But, you know, basically, the teams that aren't spending can just not spend, be really bad, and take a larger percentage of this revenue sharing where Major League Baseball is essentially taking some of the money from the top teams and giving it to the teams that aren't spending. And basically what owners have done is they can tank the team on the field. They can still make plenty of money from concessions, from ticket sales, from advertisements. And then on top of all the stuff they're making money from, even if they still have a bad team on the field, they are collecting this revenue sharing money at the end of the season and turning a profit every single time. It doesn't matter if their team wins 50 games, they finish in last place. They're turning a serious profit at the end of the season, no matter what. And that is where the integrity of the game is in a bad spot. And, you know, the Orioles are benefiting from this over the last couple of years. The biggest benefactor of this has been the Pittsburgh Pirates over the last couple of years, where they weren't even in as much of a necessary sell-it-all-away point like the Orioles were in 2018, but they still sold off that team of, you know, players like McCutcheon and Marte and, you know, the guys that got them to that, you know, little postseason run right around when the Orioles were having theirs in the mid-2010s. They've sold it off, and the Pirates have consistently been bad, and the owners have shown no interest in building it back up, and they just continue to pocket this revenue-sharing money. And at the end of the day, that's what's really doing it to baseball. To me, the gambling aspect of this question, that's going to, I think, help baseball in the long run. I mean, obviously, there could be some you know, conflicts of interest and there could be some issues that arise, but I honestly do think that it's going to bring in more people I don't know, calling themselves big baseball fans, but getting back into the sport, you know, the more the sport embraces the gambling edge, there's a lot of people who just watch baseball because they gamble in the sport. There's a lot of other things to bet on than just the final score or the margin of winning or how many runs are scored. You know, there is batter to batter in-game betting that you can do on some of these apps. And there's people who monetize that. And because they're doing that, it gets them to tune into baseball on a random Tuesday night in the fourth inning between you know the Angels and the Orioles because they're betting on what Otani is going to do against Zach Lowther. And that is bringing more eyeballs to the sport. And in the long run, maybe those people who are betting on the sport, they just find themselves watching it so much because they're betting on it so often because there's so many opportunities to place a wager. They become more of a baseball fan. I think in the long run, it could be a net positive. But I think the real net negative here is how owners are taking this revenue sharing model and just using it to their advantage, not trying to win, and instead just pocketing these revenues, putting a lousy product out on the field. And at the end of the day, that hurts the sport overall. 
And so, yes, the gambling could have something to do with it, but the tanking and the owners just not wanting to put a good product on the field, not wanting to spend their money. I mean, that is the giant issue here, and a lot of that has to do with what's going on in the CBA talks right now as we try to get a season in 2022, is that, frankly, the owners don't care about the sport, about playing games, and about having competition on the field. All they care about is what goes in their pockets, and no matter how much they cry that they are losing money or whatever it may be, it's not true. They're all turning a profit, and they are the ones killing the game right now for a whole lot of reasons. But Vince, thank you so much for the question. Could honestly go a whole episode on that one, but got a couple of more questions to answer here on today's Mailbag Monday. The next one has to do with, well, a little bit more about tanking, because we're going to look at the Orioles and the Astros and talk about competition windows, not just getting to and winning that first World Series, but how long you can stay competitive after doing a full rebuild like this one. So we'll get back to our second mailbag question of the day in just a second. But first, this is the time of year that most of us have probably given up on New Year's resolutions. Maybe not most of us, but I know a lot of us, including myself, usually give up by this point here in February. But that is, uh, that's changed a little bit this year because I'm sticking with my resolution to eat a little bit better. And that's all thanks to Built Bar because it's a protein bar and it's good for me, but it tastes like a candy bar. So it's easy to continue eating. And Built, they've also got products like the Puffs. If you haven't tried the Puffs, they are the first ever protein infused marshmallow, fluffy, marshmallowy, and covered in 100% real chocolate. Great flavors like cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, just to name a few. And that's to go along with the usual Built Bars that have just 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, and all of their delicious flavors as well, like mint brownie, coconut, and white chocolate cookies and cream. So to get all of this and continue to eat better and have some delicious treats, go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. And you can save time and money when using Rock Auto. So why would you choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? RockAuto.com's prices are reliably low for every single customer. And they have everything you could need for brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So our second question to answer here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast, kind of a little bit, at least coattails off of that first question, because it has to do with tanking, and specifically the Orioles' mantra and model of tanking, because they obviously, as we know, for many reasons, have modeled it off what the Houston Astros did, and the Astros, they were really bad for a long time there, you know, really once they moved 
to the American League, but even before that, their last two years in the NL, 2011 and 2012, they lost over 100 games. They went 51 and 111 in 2013, which was them bottoming out. Then they won 70 games in 2014, and then they kind of had a surprise year. 2015, they won 86 games. They got into the postseason via the wild card that year. And uh, ended up getting to the ALDS in 2015, lost that series in five games. But overall, it was kind of an early start for the Astros. They took a little bit of a step back, won 84 games, missed the playoffs in 16. And then, of course, went full throttle, won 101 games in 2017. They won the World Series, and they've been in the playoffs every single year since. It's been five straight ALCSs. They've been to the World Series three out of those five years and, of course, have won one out of the three World Series. So, so far, if you open the Astros window in 2015 when they got back to the playoffs, I think that's, you know, an easy time to say that's when the window opened. So far, it's been open for seven years. And the question here comes from David via Twitter, who says, I'm loving the comparing the rebuild series. And my question is with the Astros, I know that the rebuild took about five years, but what are the projections for the length of their current window? The model they followed not only got them to a World Series in 17, but of course continued to replenish the big league team with exciting, inexpensive talent. As Mike and Sid are clearly following the Astros model, I think the World Series target is 2024, says David, but how long is the window for competing at the highest level sustainable? With this model? Well, obviously, first of all, you have to continue to put assets into your team. You can't just, as we've talked about on this podcast before, you cannot just build up a team via all these top prospects, these high draft picks, these good trades that get you prospects, and then you build up all these players. And yes, that's a lot of good pieces on your team, but that can't be your whole team. You still have to replenish it with trades for big leaguers, signing good players in free agency to continue to add to that team. And that is what the Astros did. Yes. You know, there were some homegrown players like Bregman and Correa and Springer and Altuve that helped that Astros team get to where they were, but there were also a lot of players who helped them that they brought in. Michael Brantley, signing him in free agency, trading for Justin Verlander and continuing to extend him, going and getting Garrett Cole via trade, going and getting a guy like Zach Granke, helping themselves out at the back end of their bullpen with trades as well, you know, going to get guys like Ken Giles and Ryan Presley who have helped them at the back end of the bullpen. Uh, even, you know, a different kind of signing, but uh, Yuli Gurriel, you know, that was signing a, a veteran, you know, incredible player out of Cuba who was much older, you know, not a, not a 16, 17-year-old that they signed, you know, spending more money in that sense as well. And, you know, that is how they built this team. Even players who helped them a little less, like Josh Reddick, you know, came from from outside the organization and knowing how guys fit, like Martin Maldonado on that team as well, and they even traded for, you know, a guy like Jordan Alvarez when he was a prospect. But, you know, that obviously helps you in the way that the Orioles are trying to put things together as well. But it's a it's a mix of guys, how the Astros put together that team. And that's why the window has been so large. And it's been, you know, a seven-year window, I'd say now, because it starts in 2015 and it's still going. And, yeah, the rebuild did take a while. You know, their last winning season before 2015 was 2008. The Astros went 86 and 75 that year, but they finished third in the NL Central. They did not make the postseason. And if you really want to put it 
you know, doom and gloom. Yeah, they were winning some games in between there. You know, they also won 82 games in 2006. But when they were swept in the World Series by the White Sox in 2005, that was the last time they had made the playoffs before they got back to the postseason in 2015. So they had a 10-year drought right there before getting back to the playoffs. Now, all that time, obviously, wasn't a rebuild. They had a winning record in 06. They had a winning record in 08. I mean, they were still trying to reproduce that in 09 and arguably in 2010 before they really blew it up and lost 106 games in 2011 and then had the three straight seasons of 106 losses or more. But the window is still very wide open for Houston because A, they have continued to invest in the team, in the major league product, and B, they have continued to invest in the minor league product and continued to bring in younger players who can supplant them essentially at the major league level. I think a, you know, one good way to look at this is what's happening with them at shortstop right now. I mean, Carlos Correa is still a free agent. There's still a chance that maybe when the lockout ends, the Astros could re-sign Correa. But I think most people have decided and figured that he is going to sign elsewhere when this lockout ends. So yes, the Astros could replace him in free agency with a cheaper option like Trevor Story, and I think they are definitely looking at that, but they also have someone ready to take his place. It looks like Jeremy Pena is going to be that guy. He's a 24-year-old shortstop who is the Astros' number four prospect in the system right now, and he was a third-round pick by Houston back in 2018. So, you know, that was the year after they had won the World Series. He was picked in the final pick of the third round, and he's a pretty solid hitter, an elite, elite defender at shortstop. He played at the University of Maine, was kind of unheralded uh, until late in his college career when he put it all together. But for this Astros team, they look down there, they have him, they have Pedro Leon, who is a, a little further back from Pena, but he's their number two prospect. He can play shortstop as well. They've continued to put together these options. Even a guy like Joe Perez, who's more of a third baseman, who's a prospect, he's their number nine prospect, and he will probably be ready in 2022. So they've put together these names that can continue to supplant that, but that's a spot where I don't see Mike Elias, Sigmidell, and whoever is still here years down the road having an issue with doing for the Orioles. I think they'll have a fine time continuing to replenish the system via the draft, but the question is, you still have to be willing to trade some of those top guys to get major league talent to help you at the major league. So yeah, it's fantastic to have those options if you are the Astros. But the Astros also, I think, would be willing, if a team wanted Jeremy Pena and a package of prospects, would be willing to deal that package of guys if they could go get a legitimate, established major league shortstop in a trade. And that's something the Orioles are going to have to need to be able to do, along with signing free agents as well. And the Strohs have continued to bring in prospects who have been good players for them. You know, they brought up Kyle Tucker. He had his breakout year. He has been amazing. He's still a huge part of this team. Jose Siri came up last year. Seems to be an important part of that outfield. I mean, they put together the current Houston outfield, and I think they're probably going to make a free agent signing. Uh, but the current Houston outfield, I mean, is Michael Brantley going into this season, who was a good free agent signing. And then it's four players who they brought up through their minor league system in Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, Jose Siri, and Kyle Tucker at the moment with Jordan Alvarez in that group as well. So the Astros, you know, and they'll probably sign some more free agents when the lockout is lifted, but what their roster looks like at the moment here in mid-February is it's a lot more homegrown talent, 
But here's the thing. They have enough of that talent where they're going to add a couple more players in free agency. They're going to get to the trade deadline in 2022. They're going to be right in the playoff mix again, and they're going to add to their team via the trade deadline as well. And they're going to continue to bring in veterans. So the window you have is about adding to that mix. And that's why I think the Astros window, you know, people really talked about in 2020 is the Astros' window closing. They had gotten to the World Series, lost in seven games to the Nationals in 2019. They had a really disappointing short in 2020. Remember, they went 29-31, and 31, uh, but they snuck into the postseason with the you know losing record with the expanded playoffs in 2020 and still got to the ALCS and came within one game of getting to the World Series, you know, pushed to seven games with the Rays that year. So during that regular season, people were like, is it done for the Astros? Well, of course it's not, but... You know, some of their guys, Springer's gone. Correa's now going to be gone. Some of these players are starting to sign big contracts elsewhere. Of course, Altuve, Bregman are still there. But, you know, the guy that helped them, Garrett Cole, is gone. And, you know, Zach Greinke is over the, the hill. And, you know, they re-signed Verlander. But we'll see if he has, you know, much left in the tank as he returns from his injury. But they have continued to roll through these prospects. And then they're not afraid to add to the team. So when I look at this young core, they still have the young players they have coming up. And the willingness to spend on free agents and, more importantly, go make the big trade at the deadline when they need to. They are seven years into this competitive window. They've reached three World Series. They've won one. And they've been to the postseason six out of the seven years in that window. That's pretty much all you can ask for if you're the Orioles right there. And I think the Astros window is certainly not closed. You look at how they have some of these players still locked up to contracts, the young players they have. I would say at the very least, this is going to be a 10-year competitive window. And now they're going to go through some little dips as more of these young players need to be paid. But I think 10 years is a pretty good ask for the Orioles. And if you say the Orioles' window opens when they first make the playoffs, that's when we open the Astros' window. So maybe it's 2023, maybe it's 2024. If you have a 10-year window to 2033 or 34 that you're competing like that, maybe the O's don't get to three World Series. But that's a pretty good window of competition where you're a legitimate team. And here's also what the Astros have built. Let's say even in the year, you know, 2025, the Astros take a downturn. They win, you know, 76 games one year. Just the talent isn't there for them. They've still built up enough of a pipeline, enough of a player developmental system, and an ownership group that still believes in them that that next year they could still push from 76 to 86 wins and get right back in it because of the talent pipeline they have and the ability to spend money. That's what the Orioles need to be ready to do as well. But I think a 10-year window, at least, this whole rebuild can open up here in Baltimore. But we've got one more question to answer here on today's Mailbag Monday. It has to do with the current state of baseball. The lockout, the CBA negotiations, spring training. What is going on? What's the timeline look like? We'll talk about that right after this. So we'll get back to our third and final Mailbag question of the day in just a second. But first, football might be over for the season with the Super Bowl on Sunday. But we've still got basketball in full steam for both pro and college hoops. And from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And despite a great college hoops and NBA season shaping up, it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing and UFC odds, 
right to the Olympic coverage and information as well as the Winter Olympics continue on. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. You do it all at betonline.net, where the game starts. So our final question here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast comes via Twitter. And the question comes from Sim on Twitter, who asked a bit ago, not even as much in a mailbag sense, but do you think we're getting out of this lockout before spring starts at the end of February? And my thoughts were honestly no at the point when he asked that question right at the end of January. And about two weeks later here, I still agree with, I don't think the lockout's ending by the end of February. And, you know, we don't exactly know at this point when an agreement would have to be reached between the players and the owners to get the season to start on time. But I think the date most are agreeing to is March 1st. If there is not a deal in place by March 1st, you can kiss a March 31st opening day goodbye, and the season is going to be delayed at some point. Now, we can still play 162 games if the season is delayed, probably at the most by you know three weeks. If we get into May, we're not playing 162. But if the season starts at some point in April, we could still get 162 games in. But then you push that back even more, you're looking at a shorter season, and it goes on and on from there. But there is at least one good piece of news to report, although we don't know when Major League Spring Training is going to start. We do have news on Minor League Spring Training for the Orioles, as Rakabako reported uh, earlier this week that Orioles Minor League pitchers and catchers will report to camp on February 28th, and position players will report on March 8th. So February 28th, two weeks from today, is when they will report. And then a week later, uh, the position players will show up. Major League opening day is scheduled for March 31st. It looks like that might be pushed back at this point. Minor League opening day is scheduled for April 8th. So it looks like the position players would report exactly a month before that time, which means, you know, on their side, they're all going to be ready to go. And again, the lockout does not affect the minor league season. So whether we are still in the lockout or not at the major league level, the minor league season will go on and will start on that scheduled April 8th opening day. So all the Orioles minor leaguers will be in action. The only thing that will be different is that players on the 40-man roster will not be allowed to compete in the minor leagues because they are, once they're on the 40-man, part of the union, and they are one of the players being locked out by the owners. So that means D.L. Hall will not get to start his season. He'll obviously be the biggest name there. Also, guys like Ryland Bannon and Yusniel Diaz will not get to start a AAA season, which is tough for them because they really need to start out on a good foot this year. And then other guys like Logan Gillespie and Felix Bautista uh, will not be able to start the season. But for those guys, at least, uh, they have a chance to make the Major League bullpen out of spring training. So maybe they would have been in the bigs anyway. But obviously, that's something to remember uh, with the guys on the 40-man not being able to play in the minors, but everybody else good to go and start the minor league season. But in terms of what is going on with the lockout, we do know that both sides have accepted a universal DH. So whenever the major league season starts this year, we're going to have finally the designated hitter in the National League as well to go along with the AL. I don't understand people who like to watch pitchers hitting. It's guys hitting under 100, failing to bunt, swing and missing, you know, killing rallies. It's not fun to watch at all. It's terrible. And long overdue, the universal DH, DH in both leagues. Fantastic to have that. But that's basically the only good news we have gotten uh, from these labor negotiations as the owners were the last ones to 
put up some sort of offer that came on Saturday over the weekend. The players were not impressed. As we know, it was really no concessions at all, barely being made by the owners in their latest offer. Um, we'll see if the players have a counter. The two sides met for about an hour on Saturday. It did not go well. And the owners, once again, remember, this is not a strike. This is not a player strike. This is an owner lockout. The owners are locking out the players. The owners could lift this lockout at any time and get this season going, but that is not what is happening. The owners are the ones who implemented the lockout. They are the ones right now keeping us from having a regular Major League Baseball season in 2022. The players have continued to make some concessions. They have lowered some of their numbers on at least the minimum salary and on the player bonus pool for rookie players. And MLB has not even nearly tried to meet in the middle with the players. They, in their latest proposal, they wanted to raise the minimum salary to $630,000, which is still well off from the union's proposal. They wanted $775,000 as the minimum salary. And competitive balance tax, they are still way off on what that number should be. They are way, way off on that player pool uh, for guys before arbitration, getting extra money for the top players. They are like $100 million plus dollars off of that number as well. And essentially right now, it's not looking good. And the owners need to make concessions here because the players are, and they want to play the season and simply, it seems like the owners do not want to play this season. And that tells you a lot because these are the owners who have screamed and cried that they lost so much money during the pandemic because they only played 60 games. And even when they did, there were no fans and there were still, you know, seating and, and fan restrictions in 2021. And they were losing money again. No, no, no. You can see that the owners are perfectly fine not having a season in 2022. And you can see that from the fact that they are basically not bargaining in good faith right now, not putting up any concessions, not trying to come to the table with good offers that sides can agree on. And instead, they are just trying to get everything the way they want it without conceding anything. And when you're bargaining like that, it shows you're willing to lose the season. And if the owners are willing to lose the season, we know that the last thing they want to do is lose money. So if they are willing to lose the season, that tells you that losing a season would not correlate to the owners losing money in 2022, which means they played a season with all the advertisements. They had a World Series in 2020. They're lying to you when they're telling you they lost money in that 2020 season. And so that just continues the issue with these owners who just don't want us to enjoy baseball, frankly, at this point. And if you're reading about this and you know what's going on and you're still trying to blame the players or you're still using the, quote, millionaires versus billionaires argument, you're not getting it at this point. Yes, there are millionaires on the player side, but there are billionaires on the owner side. And guess what? Most of the players in Major League Baseball are not millionaires. They are players who made basically no money throughout the minor leagues. Most of these players are on their first, second, or third year in the big leagues. They're not at arbitration yet, and they've been making you know these league minimum salaries barely for not that much time. They are not millionaires yet. It takes you a few years in the majors to get to even millionaire status. And that's if if you are incredibly close to the vest with your money as well. They still have expenses as well. And at the end of the day, you know, you got to get to, it kind of feels like four years in the bigs before you really can be considered 
a millionaire. So these are not millionaires versus billionaires. It's some millionaires and a lot of guys who just got out of a terrible situation in the minor leagues versus people who have more money than anyone should ever have and more money than they know what to do with. And those people, those billionaire owners, are the ones locking out the players and basically trying not to have a season in 2022. So remember that when you think about what's going on with these CBA negotiations. But hopefully something changes and we can get a 2022 season on time in Major League Baseball. But despite the lockout, we've still got content coming at you here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. We'll be back with you here on Wednesday. Got another Orioles minor league player joining the podcast as we are going to be joined by Matthew Vogel, the right-handed pitcher who the Orioles signed out of independent ball to a minor league contract this offseason. We have a great conversation with him coming up on Wednesday about his four-year journey through indie ball after being released by the Rays, what it's like to pitch an independent ball, how it all came together with him signing with the O's, and what he's looking forward to in Baltimore, potentially, in 2022. But that's all coming up on Wednesday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.